0: Thanks for joining us for another episode of Clinician's Brief, the podcast, the conversations behind the content. I'm the host, Dr. Alyssa Watson, and today I'm so excited to welcome back a guest that we've had on the podcast before. Dr. Heidi Barnes is the owner of Barnes Veterinary Specialty Service in Madison, Wisconsin. We had a previous episode on anticonvulsants that is really popular, so if you haven't had a chance to check that out at home, I really encourage you to do that. It was a really fun episode. Today, we're going to be talking about seizures again, but instead of treatment, we're going to focus a little bit on diagnostics, specifically turning our attention from how can we really differentiate seizure from syncope? The article that inspired today's conversation is found in the January-February 2022 edition of Clinician's Brief, and it is entitled, Top 5 Ways to Differentiate Syncope from Seizure. So hi, Dr. Barnes. How are you today?
1: Hi, Alyssa. I'm well. How are you?
0: I'm great. I'm great. I'm so excited to talk to you, and I have lots and lots of questions, Um, but before I jump into that, I just wanted to give you a chance to reintroduce yourself quickly or share any good news that you might have with us since the last time we talked.
1: Well, thanks. First, thanks for the invitation. I'm so excited to be back with you, and it's excited to be visual, not just auditory. (laughs) Yep. So this is new for, for us.
0: Yeah, you're one of the <laughs> one of the first guests. We've we've done a couple of the video podcasts, but you're one of the first, so that's good.
1: Well, it's really nice. I'm glad to be back. I think you did a great introduction. I am Heidi Barnes and I am the owner of Barnes Vet Specialty Services. I am the, it's the first mobile neuro service in the Midwest. I I it's still I think the only mobile neuro service in Wisconsin at least, but I can't speak for the rest of the country. Um, But I serve Northern Illinois, Eastern Iowa, and all of Wisconsin. So a lot of traveling prior to my adventures in mobile practice, um, which I will say is an adventure with winter weather. um, I was at UW-Madison for almost 10 years and faculty there. And Prior to that, I was at specialty practice in Chicago. And I'm not going to give you dates because that just makes me feel a little older than I feel. Um, But I started in this business before there were cell phones. So people used to bring their VHS tapes in, and I would wheel the big VHS thing into the room so we could see that what they recorded for their pet doing some weird thing at home, which was usually a movement disorder or a seizure. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, I was an MSU graduate. I'm a proud Spartan. Um, And then I trailed south. I did my internship at the University of Illinois, my residency at the University of Florida, before I rebounded back north to that Chicago hospital and then further north here. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's great. So you know, I'm out in Vegas now, but I'm actually from Iowa. So I was born in Cedar Rapids and I went to vet school at at Iowa State. So um, I don't miss the winters. I really don't. The snow was not my thing. So (laughs) I don't envy you driving around and all of that. (laughs) It has
1: definitely changed my ideas on what's important. (laughs) Yep.
0: So let's jump into this because I'm sure people are really excited. So, when I was actually preparing for this conversation, I remembered this time really early on in my career when I was called in in the middle of the night on call for a puppy having seizures. When I got into the clinic, it was actually hiccups, not seizures. So, good for the puppy. Um, And uh, I think over the years, too, I've had owners mistake things like reverse sneeze episodes for seizures. And those have really kind of reminded me not to get tunnel vision, you know, when an owner says my dog is having seizures. And so one thing, you know, unlike hiccups, seizures and syncopal episodes really do share some remarkably similar clinical features. So could you tell us a little bit about what are the common characteristics of seizures and syncopal episodes and and how, you know, why are they such a diagnostic dilemma?
1: Yeah, no worries. So it's interesting you brought up hiccups because hiccups are actually a myoclonus and there are types of seizures in which myoclonus is a part of the seizure. So it can be confused. Um, And that's why I usually ask clients when they say my dog had a seizure, oh, what did it look like? Because the common characteristics of a seizure and syncope and even some movement disorders is a change in the mobility Mm -hmm. of the animal. So that's a common feature. And so that's usually the springboard as they describe the common physical appearance that that animal had. But between syncope and seizures, the shared characteristic that's most commonly seen is a loss of consciousness. Some animals with syncope will lose urinary function as well. Um, There's some anecdotal reports that there could be fecal loss at the same time, but urine loss is the more common one that we see. Um, in terms of autonomic signs. The loss of consciousness um, is the shared characteristic that usually prompts vets to start thinking in the category of seizure versus syncope. other ways that we try and differentiate these i dig back in the history and so the timing of when the event occurred can be really useful and i think that that's a really nice tool for vets and for owners to be looking at when they're trying to differentiate between the two for example syncope typically occurs with some sort of activity um, standing up walking down the stairs it doesn't have to be a major athletic event there is there is some syncope that will happen, and please remember, I'm a neurologist, not a cardiologist, um, but there is some syncope that can happen when you're not moving, but you've been in a stationary position for a while, and I think the classic example of that is the intern who has to stand at the surgery table and retract, mm-hmm. um, you know, so that position where you're holding one position and perhaps in a bit of a stressed, anxious state, um, that can result in a, mm-hmm. a sort of an orthostatic syncope. Um the seizures usually are not happening during motion. It's rare, not impossible, but it's rare for an animal to have a seizure while they're exercising um, or while they're going towards exercising. In human medicine, exercise um, is thought to be protective for most forms of seizures. So it's really, really uncommon hmm. to have one when you're, say, on the treadmill, for example. Um, wow, that's interesting. Sorry, I was going to just add dogs okay. with seizures, um, usually will have them in the middle of the night. So in recumbence and asleep, um, that's when the seizures will typically happen. But again, not always.
0: And we're going to talk a bit more about those things about, you know, uh, being at rest and um, I just thought it was interesting that you brought up, you know, humans, because I actually did have a question surrounding, surrounding human medicine. So apparently we as veterinarians, we're not the only ones that kind of struggle with this. Uh, I was surprised to learn that there is a scoring system for human physicians uh, for, you know, for them to use with their patients in order to tell syncope, you know, syncopal episodes from seizure. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about that scoring system and whether or not we can adapt it at all to our veterinary patients?
1: Yeah, definitely. So this came out of Canada and Wales, um, and they looked at several hundred human patients with a presentation history of unconsciousness. And then they try to develop criteria to say, okay, if you have these criteria, you are more likely to have had a syncopal event versus these criteria where you're more likely to have had a seizure event. Some of those criteria require observation from an outside party. So something that the human having the event couldn't necessarily report. And I think that feeds in well to veterinary medicine because we can't ask our patients if they had a prodrome or a feeling before the event started. Um, and those of things that were included in the study as well. So there are parts that we can't use, but I think there are parts that we could. The things that we found could that m- might cross over, um, were, for example, a cut on the tongue is more suggestive of having had a seizure. Um, head turning during the event is more suggestive for a seizure. And remember that human seizures have a little bit of a different appearance in some situations than our veterinary patient seizures. Um, so, we may have to modify the wording of some of this to make it apply, but we can see head turning um, in animals during events as well. And then the other one that was a perhaps a good crossover was unusual body posturing. So rigidity of a particular body part was attributed more towards having a seizure. Um, and then they sort of administered this questionnaire to the humans, to the participants in the study asked them to answer the questions, then they provided a summary score. And if your score was more than one, then I believe then you were more likely to have had a seizure. And if your score ended up being less than one, you were more likely to have had a syncopal event. As I mentioned before, some of the questionnaire would be a challenge, such as did you have a feeling, a particular smell, any ringing in your ears, You know, things that would be extremely challenging to ask veterinary patients. Um, But I think a lot of we could. And I think it's very interesting, you know, owning a business now and homeschooling children and seeing patients all day (laughs) eats up my time in which I used to do research. (laughs) But this is something that I would really love to try and develop some sort of seizure Mm -hmm. versus syncope questionnaire. Um, And so it's on my, I don't know, retirement plan. I'm not sure when that will get done, but it is on my actual list of things to work on. (laughs)
0: I think it would be wonderfully helpful, you know, wonderfully helpful for somebody like me to have that that sort of resource. Mm-hmm. Um, if we could back up just for a second, because you know you had said about kind of the shared characteristic or or the the thing that oftentimes prompts owners to be very concerned and to call or to come in is you know the loss of consciousness, and the way that that happens is the underlying pathophysiology. I think understanding how loss of consciousness happens. From seizure versus from syncope, I think can can sometimes help us. Uh, would you could you just briefly talk about how that happens? Like, how do they lose consciousness with syncope versus how do they lose consciousness with seizure? Sure. So
1: with the syncope, it's a change in blood flow, whether that's from an arrhythmia. Or hypotension or occasionally hypertension but there's a change in blood flow usually a decrease and in humans i read somewhere at some point that it's 50 percent of typical flow is what's required to be lost in order to develop syncope i don't know if that's a proven thing or not Um, and so if you have that change in blood flow the neurons can't maintain normal function and these guys lose consciousness these patients will lose consciousness for seizures, this is a, a like a hypersynchronous electrical activity that happens in the brain. So a very different pathology. And there's an imbalance between the inhibition and the ex, the um, excitation of the brain. And so the animals then are able to synchronize their neurons, which we should be asynchronous beings and develop this kind of seizure, if you will. And the, the physical manifestation of seizures varies immensely. Not all patients lose consciousness with seizures. And so that I think adds even more to the complication of trying to identify something as a seizure. But when you have a starting point of a patient lost consciousness, the physiology behind that is due to electrical change rather than a blood flow change.
0: So then, yeah, that makes a ton of sense then, as to why, as you had mentioned, the syncope occurs more often with activity as opposed to you know the seizures which can when happen a little bit more at rest. You had said for people, we know you know doing things like standing up suddenly or like you said when when they're standing. Um, you know, the the resident standing, I think of you had mentioned your kids and and my kids, too, are in choir and I was always in choir. And that was that was when we always had at least one student go down standing on the back row of the risers during a long <laughs> choir concert. Um, what are there common actions or activities that you usually question owners about for, you know, specifically for our veterinary patients when you're trying to decide, you know, if, if this was a syncopal episode?
1: Sure. And it really does center around movement. So if I have a patient who's presented to me with a history of several episodes of loss of consciousness, um, I really try and talk about what happened right before the event was noticed. Um, things like, oh, he got up to run and greet me at the door, or this seems to happen every time my son comes home from school, or you know, those kinds of comments. Um, triggered kind of behavior really suggests more along the lines of syncope, That said, nothing is ever black and white in medicine. So there are some seizures that can be triggered by sounds. So for example, if you had a little dinging bell or something on the door, and every time the person opened the door, the little bell dinged and the animal had a seizure as a result of the sound. So like an audiogenic type seizure. Well, then I might think, oh, gosh, the dog got up and ran to the door. But in fact, it's the sound that's triggering it. So sometimes it takes a little parsing um, to ask all of the questions. But the commonalities is typically that there is some sort of action that the animal does that precipitates the seizure. Uh, I'm sorry, the syncopal event. Um, right. For seizures, again, as I mentioned, there can be some triggers but um, then you would put together the rest of what that animal was doing. So for example, the animals with the audiogenic type seizures, they can have that event sitting on the couch and someone can ring the bell and they will develop that event. So it, it doesn't it's not associated with movement, it's associated with sound. Mm-hmm. The same okay. is true for some visually triggered seizures. So I had a patient, this was a basset hound many years ago when I was in Chicago, that every time that patient entered into the clinic, he had a seizure (laughs) and he was a primary care patient of the clinic that I was a specialist in. So we got to see him quite a bit. Um, And so it became a habit. We would just do his exam out in the parking lot and he was fine. So we assumed that there was some sort of either stress or visual trigger that resulted in him having a seizure when he entered into the clinic. And I've heard that from several clinics um, since then, that they have patients that they evaluate either in their home or out in the parking lot just to avoid having seizure-based clinics, clinic-based seizures.
0: seizures. I've had, we had one that we unfortunately had to uh, stop boarding the animal. We offered boarding Mm -hmm. and every time the the dog was very well controlled on his anticonvulsants but anytime he came in for boarding he had breakthrough seizures and so mm. that was that was hard because the owner obviously wanted some place where he could medically board um yeah. but but we weren't able to offer that and they had to get a a home sitter <laughs> yeah
1: yeah, it really is hard. It changes their lifestyle a little bit, owner and dog, mm-hmm. when we find that those triggers mm-hmm. are the case. Those are the rarities. More often than not, there is not a trigger, or at least not that we can identify there's not a trigger um, that's repeatedly present to co- cause seizures.
0: So, you had, we had mentioned that seizure activity often happens more at rest. I was wondering, are there specific periods during rest that seem to be more common, like when they're just starting to fall asleep, or if they're in a very deep sleep, or right before they wake up? Do we know that the answer to that?
1: We don't, um, or at least I don't know that answer. They do more often occur during the 2 to 5 a.m. window, um, for dogs anyway. That doesn't seem to hold true for cats but why that happens isn't known because there should be transitions between REM and non-REM sleep several times during that period. And um, there are some links between transitioning from REM to non-REM sleep causing some seizures and potentially even causing some movement disorders as well, which is a different category. It's not a seizure. Um, But exactly why it happens and when it happens is a mystery. There is Tons of research happening. This is an extremely hot area in human medicine for um, seizure alert or seizure triggering, and it's complex and yet to be solved.
0: That was really interesting about the 2 to 5 a.m. I had no idea. That's a neat mystery that we'll need to figure out. When you've got a challenging case in front of you, You could spend your lunch sorting through cluttered search results and a shelf full of outdated textbooks, or you could find what you need to know in seconds, all in one place. By combining concise diagnostic and treatment information, algorithms, and pet owner resources with the Drug Information Veterinarian's Trust, Plums Pro is ready to change the way you spend your day. This groundbreaking new platform is streamlined, easy to use, and continually updated to keep you delivering great care with confidence. Now you've got one less reason to eat lunch at your desk. Get acquainted with the all new Plums Pro at plums.com. You had talked a little earlier in the episode um, about autonomic signs, and specifically that sometimes we can see urination; that that can be present with both syncope um, and seizure. But as a general rule, autonomic signs are usually present during during just seizure. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, and so. Do we have any theories on why the loss of bladder control can happen during syncope, even though we don't see other autonomic signs usually?
1: Being a neurologist, I'm going to give you my best guess. Um, I would suggest that that has to do with a change in muscle tone and the external sphincter to the bladder. uh, Although we don't think of it as being consciously controlled, does have a certain amount of conscious control. This is why babies wet their beds and diapers um, and elderly people as well, and those of us advanced age who decide to sneeze on occasion um, because there's a muscle control relationship. And so my suspicion is when you lose blood flow to the brain, then you can lose some of that um, higher level control over the voluntary control of the external sphincter. And I suspect, and again, I am a neurologist, so I'm giving you a neurologist's answer here, that the... Um, urination, the external sphincter to the bladder is perhaps a little less regulated than to the bowel. We will occasionally mm-hmm. see bowel loss as well. Um, but I do think that is, um, overall reported less commonly.
0: So For we'll, see, yeah. Oh, I was going to say we'll see bowel loss as well with, with syncopal episodes sometimes. Um, correct.
1: Correct. Occasionally okay. we'll see that it's pretty rare. Okay. Um, but occasionally I think we can. It's definitely more common with seizures, and that's simply due to an increase in muscle activity. And so those animals are expelling things out of all the parts. And so they drool, they urinate, they defecate, they vomit. Um, things can come out of all the holes.
0: Got it. Got it. So in your experience, does the length of unconsciousness provide any clues as to whether or not we're dealing with seizure or syncope? So you know, to put it another way, does seizure or syncope tend to last longer?
1: That's a really good question. Um, If, you know, syncope is related to a change in blood flow. So if we have a loss of blood flow to the brain for a long enough period of time, that's called death. And (laughs) that one, I think, will last very, very long. Forever, Um, yes. For seizures, though, the, the loss of electrical activity can be quite prolonged. So whether they're having motor activity concurrent with that, we have reports in human medicine and in veterinary medicine of seizures being documented for 20, 25, 30 minutes, um, which of course is defined as status epilepticus at that point. And we definitely want to stop that. There can be secondary damage to the systemic body as well as to the brain when you've had a sustained seizure like that. So very long events are more often seizures if the animal doesn't die. Um, The one minute window is I think where we really struggle. You know, anything Mm -hmm. more than two to three minutes Really, if you're unconscious due to syncope for longer than three minutes, there's a strong likelihood of death associated Mm -hmm. with that loss. Um, But seizures, it's not uncommon for them to be two, three, four, five, six minutes um, in length.
0: So I was also taught that the hallmark sign of seizure is this post-ictal phase. I do have sometimes have a hard time uh, communicating that terminology to clients. So, how, what are some questions that you use when we're asking owners specifically about the period right after, you know, the episode, right after the animal wakes up?
1: I have gotten in the habit of asking very basically what happens when it's stopped and when it. it the the definition of it in that sentence could be the motor activity it could be the lack of consciousness it could be the flaccidity that was noticed being flaccid um animals with syncope often do not have increased motor activity so having a relaxed muscle and then all of a sudden regaining tone that could Mm -hmm. signify the end of something or the beginning of something else um and so asking what happens at that transition, because a client has clearly presented the animal because there was an acute, abrupt change in something. And so after it's over, I will say to them very, very honestly, what did you see? And common answers I get for animals with seizures would be, he just laid there and panted for a while, or the dog slept and then got up, or She stumbled about blindly running into things for 10 or 15 minutes and then seemed to go back to normal. Other things I listen for is stereotypic activity, must go get a drink of water, must go outside and void, must walk in circles obsessively. Those kinds of things would suggest a postictal phase. It's pretty unusual, again, not impossible, but pretty unusual for an animal to have a seizure and be completely normal instantly. The classic example would have to be a partial seizure, a gum-chewing seizure, a fly-biting seizure, one of those where it's a smaller event. Um, They're more likely to have a faster or unidentified postictal phase.
0: So looking when you've got the patient in front of you, you know, we've talked a lot about history, a lot about, you know, questioning the owner, um, you know, as to what happened both before and right after the episode, uh, when you have an animal right in front of you, what are some physical exam findings that would, you know, increase your, your suspicion for seizure versus syncope?
1: Going back or hearkening back to our discussion about uh, pathophysiology, That can really feed nicely. When I'm trying to differentiate between seizures and syncope, I'll think about the pathophysiology to help guide me. And so, for example, for syncope, we're expecting cardiovascular change. So I'm looking at abnormal heart rate, abnormal rhythm, poor or desynchronous pulses, changes in gum color. All of those could suggest an underlying cardiogenic pathology, which would lead me down the tunnel of saying, You need to see a cardiologist or perhaps we need to investigate this further. There's a two-pronged reason for me doing that. The first, of course, is if this is syncope, we have to diagnose that answer, right? If we don't diagnose the proper disease, we're not going to treat it properly. And if I treat an animal with syncope with a barbiturate like phenobarbital, well, that lowers blood pressure, that decreases heart rate. Those are side effects of that medication. Therefore, I could potentially worsen their condition. So that's the first prong is let's make sure we get the right diagnosis. The second prong is that if I really do think that these are seizures after going through all of this, but I concurrently identify underlying cardiogenic problems, that patient may not be stable to have anesthesia for an MRI, which may be the next suggested diagnostic tool for a patient with seizures. Not every patient needs an MRI, but for those in which it's a good idea, they have to be able to handle anesthesia. And so having concurrent cardiac disease or cardiovascular disease could put them at increased risk for complications from the anesthesia. So those are the two reasons I really try and ferret out syncope first before I then commit myself into thinking it's a seizure disorder. What I look for on a physical exam for a seizure disorder would be really focused more on the neurologic exam. And seizures happen from the forebrain or the prosencephalon. So you're looking for neuroanatomic abnormalities that may reflect the forebrain, such as menace deficits, um, and those menace deficits should be paired with a normal pupillary light reflex. That's important to help with your localization. Changes in mentation, compulsive circling in one direction could be a suggested problem, but make sure that if you're seeing that it's without a head tilt. Head tilt present, we think more that we're looking at a vestibular Vestibular, problem. Yep. And vestibular disease is one of the diseases that happens very acutely in some patients mm-hmm. and can be transient in some patients and is on my list of things to try and eliminate when I'm evaluating a patient who's had an episode of something.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. That's another one that we get commonly where people call and say the animal has had a seizure. Right. Exactly. So. You had mentioned that you used your VHS and wheeled that in and <laughs> When we were talking a little bit earlier. So, how, now that everybody has smartphones, um, you know, I feel like this is a tool that we can really be using. Do you have people take videos a lot?
1: Oh, yes. And it is gold. It is gold. So, if you're listening to this and you have a patient with seizures, please ask them to take a video if you're going to um, try and evaluate it further. I have had numerous situations where, I mean, I can't tell you how many, where they have t- brought in a video and I'll say, oh, well, that's definitely more consistent with a seizure or Mm -hmm. with syncope, or that's a movement disorder. You know, that's a REM sleep disorder that is vestibular. You know, there's such an array of things that can happen acutely and be abnormal with movement and then present back to you as a normal patient. So the video has changed neurology immensely. You know, as a as a private practice now, um, neurologist. And even when I was at the university, I regularly have people, veterinarians, people, um, email me, emailing me videos and saying, Hey, my client brought this in. I don't know what to do with this. What do you think? You know? And so trying to parse out looking at videos, my kids are really good at looking over my shoulder and saying, mom, you're looking at a sleeping cat. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll say, no, no, he's going to do something. in wait, thirty just seconds." Wait. <laughs> My one daughter is really good at identifying seizures now. So I think that's how you got to do it. You got to train them young.
0: <laughs> yeah. Everything is different nowadays. <laughs> <laughs> right.
1: Yeah. But video is a, is magic. Um, and the rules are the recommend, recommendations that I try and abide by are that the person videoing shouldn't touch the animal.
0: Okay. that's a helps really, so yeah. much. Oh, that's a really yeah. good clue. You know, I mean, tips like that are fantastic. I wouldn't have thought to tell someone that. So...
1: Oftentimes they're trying to pet them and comfort them, which is totally understandable, but then they shake the animal and I can't tell if the animal's trembling or not. Right. Right.
0: So if you have an animal that, you know, when you're evaluating them, they're, and this may be pretty basic, but if their physical exam findings are completely normal, is that more suggestive of seizure or more suggestive of syncope or neither? That would be...
1: Maybe more suggestive of a seizure, um, you okay. know, again, not to put it always in my court, but um, oftentimes I think that we can get a clue on the physical exam if there's a cardiovascular problem underlying with acute observation, with auscultation, you know, good palpation of pulses, that kind of thing. Most of us are pretty comfortable, I think, evaluating that situation. Not always. A Holter monitor is the reason it's been developed is so that we can identify those arrhythmias that aren't found on physical exam. So if Mm -hmm. your your history strongly suggests a syncopal event, then again, for the reasons I mentioned before, it would be helpful to make sure that it's not or that it is a syncopal event before you either embark on treatment or talk about testing.
0: And then... We know that there's several metabolic abnormalities that can lead to seizure. You know, there's specific conditions. Hypoglycemia is a big one. Uh, Hypernatremia. We know these cause seizures. Are there any other biochemical clues to differentiate between seizure and and syncope beyond just doing a basic chemistry panel?
1: Um, Basic chemistry panel, I think, is really helpful. um, And I would suggest that everyone does consider doing that. Cardiac troponin-1 was looked at for a while to see if they could differentiate um, between seizures and syncope because as with all of us, we've been struggling with this for a long time. It was published in 2017 and essentially there was enough overlap that we couldn't (laughs) definitively say that an animal had a seizure versus a syncopal event um, based strictly on the troponin-1 levels. I think it's worth keeping an eye on that literature that may change in the future. Humans with elevated lactate was also more suggestive of a seizure. Um, if they took that within two hours of having had the event in question, um, then that could suggest a seizure if it was elevated compared to syncope. I think this could be a really good test, but I'm concerned we could also have overlap in this particular situation as well. Um, so that that is yet to be determined in vetmed. There was a study that actually just came out just a few weeks ago, looking at low phosphorus in um, animals with syncope versus seizures. I'm really hopeful that that will start to become something we could look at further. Um, mm-hmm. Hypophosphatemia was more common in the patients that had seizures than syncope, um, and it was statistically significant in that study. But there, the um, It was a small study, as all veterinary studies are. And so I think that would be a good one to keep your eye on. But again, had to be drawn within, I believe with that study, it was three hours of the event, not two hours, but as soon as possible after the event Mm -hmm. and then evaluated is the best rule.
0: Yeah. Yeah, Yes. I hadn't heard of that. That was a new one for me. I did, I was aware, you know, of the study about um not being able unfortunately to use um the serum cardiac troponin 1 to as a standalone test um and you know and looking a little bit more at those lactate tests i know those are becoming a little bit more common as point of care tests you know in in a lot of clinics which is good so it looks like we've got some stuff to look forward to and maybe this is going to be especially if you come out with a wonderful handout for everyone <laughs> in the future, you know, to make this a little bit easier. And then hopefully our conversation today can kind of help guide people to this was this was great. So I know you have been on the podcast before, and so you are expecting our quick rapid fire questions at the end. I don't need to explain the game to you again, right? Right. Okay. well, let's jump right in then. Would you rather see nothing but surgical cases or nothing but medical cases?
1: Oh, like saying which kid do you love more um uh, medical medical I'll slightly okay. say
0: medical yeah I it's great that you like both that you love both because some people have a very big aversion to one or the other
1: yeah no I mean as a neurosurgeon we're trained to do both mm-hmm. my current yeah. job affords me very little neurosurgery um but I still have a big soft spot I love it I you love, still love that it sense. yeah yeah, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. good If you could choose, would you rather go forward in time 100 years and practice in the future, or would you go back in time 100 years and practice in the past?
1: And I have to practice, huh? I have to be a neurologist in the past. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I think I'd go forward, um, which I I suspect um, many people would say the same thing. The technology that we're going to see in 20 years, 30 years, or 40 years, let alone 1,000 years, I think will be fantastic to see. Um, I was working with a company that's talking about having essentially a patient side MRI. I could put it in my car and I could drive it to a clinic and plug it into an outlet and we could do an MRI. Um, So we're getting there. We're getting there with some of this technology. And I want to see that.
0: Yep. It's absolutely amazing. Even even what you can do with, you know, the ultrasound probes on your smartphone and stuff now is crazy to me. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs)
0: If you had to pick one, would you rather that your canine or your feline patients could speak?
1: Gosh. I did research on cats for a number of years with cats. Nobody does anything on a cat. We always do
0: it with them,
1: right? (laughs) So I did research with cats um, for years at the university and would have loved to hear their input on what I we were trying to achieve, because my goal was to make their lives easier. And I always wonder if it did. Um, but I think now in practice, I'd rather hear what the dogs have to say. They may perhaps have a, a more eloquent insight into how this is going.
0: <laughs> if you, um, would you rather learn a new skill every year or would you rather hone one skill and become the best in the world at that one thing?
1: I would rather be the best of the world at that one you thing. Really?
0: That's great. Yeah. That's yeah. Wonderful. I
1: think that's why I can't speak about cardiology. Right. It's, like, it's not <laughs> Don't my Don't ask thing. me about diabetes. Not my diabetes. Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: That's okay. Yeah. Okay. Final question. Um, I think, I, I think I asked you a question about a three headed dog last time. So we'll, we'll <laughs> scrap that one. And instead, we'll t- if they were both still living, would you rather perform a spinal tap on a woolly mammoth or on a triceratops?
1: Oh, a woolly mammoth, hands down. I am, my favorite animal is an elephant. If oh. I could play with a woolly mammoth, I would hands down do that. Um, there's a really good book. If anybody listening has kids or if you have kids, um, which I think you do.
0: I do have kids. I thought
1: so. Um, there's a really good book about a triceratops and his name is Uncle Beasley. And I can't think of the name of the book right now, but it was written in like the 1940s. And I will do my best to try and recall it on the
0: spot. Um,
1: but I think, given the amount of armor that those guys wear, I don't think
0: you'd get a spinal tap.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it might
0: be a little bit difficult. Yep. Yeah. And oh, like the you enormous said,
1: egg. That's the book. Sorry to interrupt. Oh, it's the enormous oh, egg.
0: No. I'll have to look it up. I'm going to look <laughs> it up. I'm really excited about it now. <laughs> so, all right. That was all of the questions, all of the silly, would you rather questions, and all of our, our very much more serious and practical questions about how to differentiate seizure from syncope. So, I hope you will join us again for another podcast. Um, We always look forward to, to your content so much.
1: Thanks, Alyssa. It was really nice being with you guys both today, and I look forward to chatting again soon. Have a great rest of your day.
0: Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed our episode, you can find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, including a video version now available on YouTube. While you're there, make sure you subscribe, rate, and review us. You can also listen to or watch our podcast episodes on our website at cliniciansbrief.com slash podcasts, or drop us a line at com. Clinician's Brief, the podcast is a brief media production produced by Alexis Ussery and hosted by Dr. Alyssa Watson.